Good morning. We continue our series in the Gospel of John by picking up the discourse that took place at the Last Supper, which began in chapter 13. With time running out before he is betrayed, Jesus attempts to prepare the disciples for what is coming. His teaching in chapter 14 began by emphasising the importance of belief in verses 1 to 14, and now it shifts to the emphasis on love in verses 15 to 24. This focus on love is introduced in this opening verse of our text in verse 15 with the words, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This immediately raises the question, what are the commandments? Uh, Something that needs to be answered before we can move on to verses 16 to 18, where we will ask, how can we keep these commandments? And verses 19 to 22, where we see the consequences of keeping these commandments. So, what are the commandments? Well, uh, before I answer that, it's important to establish that this uh, verse is saying more than we might imagine. Uh, And now we recognise that this whole section is rooted in love. You know, a funny thing happens to most people uh, when they hear the word commandment. Uh, We associate that word with obedience, with maybe keeping enough rules or doing enough to prove that we love God. As a result, we can forget that this is actually all about love. We think of a word like obedience and it it can become about the, the superficial things, the things that might get a nod of approval from our church culture. In other words, there is a danger that we take a verse like this and we ignore the power of what is being said by focusing our eyes on the surface and not what lies beneath. You see, this verse is not so much about our works as it is about the change that God has wrought within us. This becomes apparent when we read on in the passage. For now, I find one Hebrew term, translated as obey in the Old Testament, to be particularly useful in making the point. Shema, as I said, regularly rendered as obey, speaks of something far greater in scope. Shema means to listen. In the famous text, Shema Yisrael, listen, O Israel. But it means to really listen. And you're really listening because you value the one who is speaking. You therefore value the words that are being said. And those words, they they go deep down inside. You you really imbibe those words. And they go so far inside of you that you find that you begin to change. The words begin to mould you. The, The words change you from within so that what you do is markedly different. The lives we live increasingly in line with the one we love. In such a light, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, is about the change within us, a change brought about by God, a God who loves us and dwells within us, who changes us and enables us to love him in return. What we do from that point is to show the love that overflows in these commandments. Now, John will expand this idea when he returns to the exact exact same statement in 1 John 2, verses 3 to 5. Uh, There he makes it clear that uh, what we do, the love we demonstrate, is in fact the love of God being perfected within us. In other words, it's not about what we achieve in our own strength or obeying enough to prove that I love God. It's about the love of God changing you so you can keep the commandments. 
Our natural state is to fail to keep the commandments because we love something else to a greater extent. Uh, we, we love sin, we love ourselves, we love our pride, our rebellion. And so we do not keep these commandments. Uh, we can put up a good show of being good people, uh, adhering to, to some form of legalism or keeping some nice Christian rules, but keep these commandments. No. Only by the grace and power of God can we keep these commandments. You see, the commandments themselves are not a list of rules to keep. When we ask, what are these commandments? We find that Jesus issued three commandments in this gospel. The first was in chapter 13, verses 14 to 15, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. He stated that by giving such an example, we should act likewise. Now, when I was preaching on this text, I concluded that the lesson of it uh, is that we are to humbly serve each other in love. It's more than just washing feet, um, though that can be helpful in underlining the lesson. Rather, it's about everything we do, uh, all of our thoughts and prayers and words and actions in humble service towards each other in love. A love that is entirely dependent on the love of God working through us. The second commandment in chapter 13, uh, verses 34 to 35, called on us to love one another, just as I have loved you, said Christ. Again, when preaching on this, I concluded that I would be incapable of this love, even though I am commanded to do it, were it not for the grace of mercy and transforming power of God. This is not least the case because there are times that it's actually very hard to love one another. There are times when we can be hurt or we can be let down and it would be impossible to love except that I know that I can turn to the God of love, plead with him to show me his love. To fill me with that love and to go from there with God helping me to show that love. It's not simply some sort of sentimental feeling we have for each other which cannot be commanded. It is love in action and what I do which can be commanded. The third commandment uh, is found at the beginning of this chapter. As Jesus says in verse 1, Do not be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. Now this, again, is something that is not possible without the power of God changing us, uh, without God living within us, without the love of God poured out on us. How could we have ever been in a place where we could believe in him, trust him, rely on him? It's only because his love was intent on us before the foundations of the world that we can reciprocate now. It's only because love drove him to resolutely face the cross, even as the crunch of the fruit reverberated around Eden, he was headed to the cross. So we have three commandments, um, each of them founded on love, three open-ended commandments that go far beyond keeping some rules, and instead point to the need for the core of our being to be shaped and moulded by God. And so we could be filled by God. Keeping some rules in comparison is easy. Keeping a set of norms to conform to on the surface, pff, no bother. 
But the demand here of faith, the demand of love, required by Christ here, of us, requires that we in turn allow Jesus to reshape our lives. So how can we keep these commandments? Well, see, to underline this point, Jesus goes on to explain how it is that we could possibly hope to keep these commandments. These commandments of faith and love. He makes it clear that we are not to be abandoned, left to our own devices, reliant on our own strength to do it, as we see in verses 16 to 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now, this is not the first time that the Gospel has made reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, From the baptism of Jesus in chapter 1, he's been an active participant in the events that unfold. John frequently associates the third person of the Trinity with faith in Jesus Christ. As Jesus stated, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God in chapter 3 verse 5. Also, in the context of what we're considering this morning, in the context of life that God gives us, in in the power that God gives us to live a certain way, to, to keep the commandments, we are reminded that the Spirit is the very means for life in chapter 6, verse 63, when Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh benefits no one. In John 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, uh, the Holy Spirit is described as rivers of living water that flow out of the believer. Um, All of which means that the life that we possess comes from him. Uh, The moulding that takes place, that we can become more and more the people we're meant to be. People in the image of God. People able to keep these commandments It's down to the fact that he dwells in us. Now here, uh, the idea of the Spirit living within us is repeated uh, alongside the description of him being the parakletos. Uh, It is a term that only John uses in the Bible uh, four times here uh, in his Gospel in chapters 14 to 16 uh, in relation to the Holy Spirit. And once in 1 John 2 verse 1 uh, when he uses it to refer to Jesus who intercedes on our behalf before the throne of heaven. It's a term that can refer to a person who gives comfort or counsel or strength in time of need. It is a literal sense of someone called in uh, to, to help us in that moment. So if your translation gives you a helper, advocate, counsellor, comforter or intercessor, uh, that would be correct. However, parakletos actually describes someone who is all of these things at the same time. Later in this chapter, uh, he's all, the Holy Spirit is also said to be the teacher who constantly points us back to Christ. So teacher, helper, advocate, counsellor, comforter and intercessor is what we are promised. It's interesting though that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as another parakletos. Uh, the implication that this describes Jesus also. Uh, however, Jesus is standing on the brink of his departure. Before him lies death, resurrection and ascension. He knows that he is leaving the disciples, uh, which he refers to in in, in verse 19. Yet he makes it clear that they're not going to be cut adrift or orphaned. Uh, Rather, this new parakletos uh, will be with all the disciples 
everywhere and for all time. As I've already mentioned, Jesus in this role is referred to in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, and as such, Jesus is understood to be our, our parakletos in heaven, pleading our cause. Whereas the Holy Spirit is understood to be the parakletos from heaven, uh, helping us fight the cause, uh, as it were, uh, to have him dwell in the believer, giving us life, shaping and moulding us, uh, enabling us to be able to keep these commandments and to face a hostile world. So what are the consequences to keeping these commandments? Well, in verses 19 to 21, uh, we come to that. As I hope I've made clear, the one who keeps the commandments is the one who loves Jesus. For those who love Jesus have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, bringing life where once there was death, making it possible to believe and to love. However, the consequences to keeping these commandments are further developed in these verses. The first part of verse 19 refers to the fact that Jesus will appear again to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. You know, it's often overlooked that following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, only those who had loved him got to see him. Um, just as the world opposed to Christ cannot receive, see or know the Holy Spirit, so too those who had rejected Christ were able only to see an empty tomb. And it's the same today. Uh, those who reject Christ are blind to the truth, whereas those who love him have the eyes to see him. But this also has an eternal dimension to it. For as verse 19 concludes, because I live, you will live also. Now, so far, I have talked about the life that we can experience now, the life filled uh, by the Holy Spirit and enabled to love and have faith. However, there is to be a glorious day when the one who broke the power of death, who humiliated the claims of the grave, will see us receive eternal life. And in that day, we will know what it is to take part with God in that new life. Verses uh, 21 to 24, though, uh, bring us back to where we started. Verse 21 reminds us that the commandments are only kept by those who love Jesus. Whoever has my commandments and keep them, he it is who loves me. At verse 23, Jesus again states that if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In verse 24, he says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Now, there is to be no confusion here. The commandments regarding faith and love are founded on loving Jesus, something which is made possible by being filled with the Spirit and changed by him. That changed life, the one empowered to love and to believe, is the life that was given to us, a life that is experienced by those saved by a God of love. Now, this is important. Uh, because when we come to verses 23 to 24, there is still room for getting this wrong. This is what it says. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Amen. It, it is possible to read this, and see some sort of transaction taking place. Uh, 
a reward for good behaviour. We could fall back into the problems that I discussed at the outset, here imagining that the love of the Father is conditional on our keeping whatever commands we think Jesus is issuing. We could imagine that God dwelling with man was dependent on man getting it right. Now, I'm afraid that man is incapable of earning such love, or doing enough to deserve God living with us. The unconditional love of God, the love that first love does, the love that will not let us go, well, you see, that comes first, before we are ever aware of it. So, what is going on here in this text? Well, um, let me use an analogy that I think helps at this point. Uh, my youngest son is uh, coming up for two years old, and it's only fairly recently that his love for his father has become more evident. Uh, when he was tiny, uh, there was only room for his mother in his heart. Uh, indeed, his awareness of my existence was pretty much at a minimum. Uh, at best, uh, my role was to hold him while he waited for his mum. However, of late he has begun to show a deep affection for his father. He smiles and dances in the morning when he sees me. Um, he willingly throws himself into my arms. He holds me tight. Uh, now, the love that I have for that wee guy has always been there, whether he knew it or not. Uh, and indeed, his affection now is really a reflection of the love that I have poured out on him. However, as he throws himself into my arms, it gives me the opportunity to hug him back. As he seeks out my presence to, to spend time with me, it gives me the opportunity to show that I love him when I, when I read him stories or sing him songs or we go on a long walk together. I think this helps us understand these verses. For as we love God, we need to recognise that that love is a reflection of the love that he has poured out on us. It is a, a pale image of the love that was ours from before the foundations of the world. We need to recognise it is a love uh, that he has enabled us to have. <laughs> we wouldn't have had it unless he helped us, unless he enabled us to have it. As we seek to love him, to throw ourselves upon him, to seek out his presence, what it does is it gives the opportunity for us to experience that love in return. To experience a love that is already there, waiting for us. Just as I, an earthly father, did not love my son any less when he was not able to grasp it, just as my love for him is not dependent on him doing certain things for me, so too the love of our Heavenly Father. It is a love that does not need to be earned. It is not a love that needs to be created. All we need to do is respond to his love by loving him. And by doing that, we have the opportunity to further experience the love that he already has for us. It is therefore my strongest exhortation this morning that you take the opportunity to know this love more and more, to have a life that is changed more and more, a life increasingly defined by love for God 
and for each other. So that the love that has been poured out in us is reciprocated and shown in our keeping these commandments of faith and love. Every day, more and more each day, until that day where we see him face to face. Amen.